take our Bible and make our way to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, and uh, I want to be reading one verse here in verse number 7, and uh, this is more of a topical study on prayer, and uh, specifically the prayer life of Jesus, the prayer life of Jesus, and uh, here in this text we see just a little intro, a little uh, um, uh, foundation for uh, what we'll see, and we'll, we'll look at it a couple times as we go throughout our message tonight, uh, but the prayer life of Jesus is one that, uh, as you evaluate it, is very insightful, it, at least it is to me, but it's also very convicting to me when I look at the prayer life of Jesus, because prayer is certainly a uh, intricate part of the Christian life, it's foundational, and uh, it's something that's easily, uh, easily put to the side, and I think it's important for us as God's people to be a people of prayer, uh, both individually, uh, but also corporately uh, together as a church. So look at Hebrews 5 and verse 7, that's our text for tonight, and we'll open up with this. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. I want us to think about our prayer life and ask ourselves, how important is our prayer life? We'd all confess that it's a very important aspect to the Christian life, but how important is your prayer life to you? How important is it, uh, and is it manifested in that way in your life? Uh, we think about our prayer life, how often do we pray? Is prayer uh, a priority to us each day? Do we give some time to prayer uh, throughout the day? And are our prayers genuine and earnest, or are they maybe just praying for praying's sake? Uh, I think that's one of the dangers of our Christian life, is that it's easy for us to become uh, get into a routine where we're not really having our heart into that which is what we're called to be as Christians. So prayer, it's an intricate part of the Christian life, uh, both in the local church, but also the kingdom of God. And so when we look at prayer for a moment tonight, why should we hold prayer in such a high status of our life? Well, we could probably list a bunch of scriptures that speak about prayer, right? And those would all be valid reasons why we ought to be earnest in our prayer life. But one uh, that I want to point out to us tonight is because of the prayer life of Jesus. Uh, the prayer life of Jesus teaches us plainly how important prayer is uh, to the Christian. And uh, when we look at our text here, notice what it says. It says, our Lord Jesus in his life, it describes him as, as him having offered up prayers and supplications to God. Now this text comes in the context of uh, expressing Jesus' work and fulfillment as high priest. And uh, if you look at the end of Hebrews 4 and onward, this is one of the larger sections of Hebrews where it is emphasizing the priestly work of Christ, how that he's a greater high priest than those of the Old Testament. But in part of this uh, description and discourse, we're given insight into the depth of prayer practiced by Jesus in his human life. Now, here's a question that I pose to myself and I pose to you. If Jesus, the sinless Son of God, had a serious, unwavering prayer life, how much more important is it for us as sinful people to have a serious and unwavering prayer life? When we look at the life of Jesus, we might even wonder, why did Jesus need to pray to begin with, right? After all, he's God in the flesh. We'll get into that a little bit uh, here as we come around, but come through this text and through the message. But considering all that we see here with Christ, we see that he was a man of prayer in his humanity. And as we look at his prayer life, 
I want to challenge you just to examine your own prayer life as we come through this. So notice in our notes tonight, three headings that we'll look at. Uh, notice with me, number one, the practice of prayer by Christ. It was a practice by Him. The practice of prayer by Christ. And notice that His prayers were essential in His life. They were something that He considered to be an essential aspect of His life and His ministry. Now, when we look at His life, there are 15 occasions where the gospel writers record Jesus praying. There's 15 occasions where the gospel writers record Jesus praying. Now, that does not mean that Jesus only prayed 15 times. Uh, we know that, right? This is just record in, in the gospel accounts. But we see that as a recurring thing in the life of Jesus, that he practiced prayer throughout his life. It was a regular thing for him, and it was an essential thing for him. Now, I want to point out some scriptures tonight, and we'll look at a few different ones throughout the gospels, and we'll uh, jump to a few others as well. This is more of a topical study, but we'll come back to Hebrews 5 and 7 in a moment. But notice verse, at Luke, verse, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. This is interesting to me. We notice that Jesus, in his ministry, he began his ministry in prayer. Luke chapter number 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. Now, you read other gospel accounts, and it doesn't include that little note, that little detail. But we notice that in Jesus' baptismal, uh, where he was being baptized by John the Baptist, we know that the baptism of Jesus really commenced his ministry to begin, and he came on the scene and uh, declared the kingdom of God and uh, was beginning all that God had told him to fulfill that he was come to do. But we notice a note here that at his baptism, he also was praying. He's in prayer. Uh, at his baptism. He's in prayer at the very beginning of his ministry. Now, no doubt Jesus had prayed before this moment, but how significant is it that we see prayer right there at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, that prayer is interwoven into what he's doing? Uh, it makes us maybe wonder what Christ was praying at that sacred moment, but doubtless his prayer was heard, and we see the Father uh, giving public recognition to Jesus at that very moment as well as God the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. The baptism of Jesus is just a, a beautiful scene of, of, of the Trinity in itself. But prayer, right there at the beginning of his ministry, was, was part of it. Uh, the prayer life of Jesus is seen early on in Mark's gospel account. If you read Mark 1 and verse 35, and these are in your notes, so you can turn to them if you want to, you don't have to, uh, but in our handout, notice these, this, this particular detail. Scripture says, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, this, is, this, is, this gives us snapshot views of Jesus, just somewhat in the day-to-day, -day, uh, how that Mark records here that Jesus got up very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. What do you notice about Jesus' prayers here? Well, there's a couple of things. He began his day early in the morning, all right, with prayer. Now, Jesus begins his day with prayer. Now, I, I believe it is a, a good and, and, and profitable practice to begin your day with God, uh, starting your day with Him, uh, having prayer, uh, having time of prayer, having time in the Scriptures. Uh, me, myself, personally, I've gotten into such a habit, if I don't start that way, I feel like my day is just completely out of whack. Anybody else feel that way? Uh, do that sometimes. I mean, uh, I feel like I have to be have that time with the Lord just to have my mind right 
and be ready to tackle the day and what he's got ordained for me. But you'll notice that he starts his day with prayer. Prayer was put first here. But we also notice that he went to a desolate place to pray or a solitary place, meaning that Jesus needed separation from others to be alone with the Father. Now, I think it's important for the local church to gather together in prayer, but there is also an essential element to you and your Christian life that you ought to have time where you are alone with God. That means you got to separate yourself. you got to get to what Jesus would call your closet. It doesn't have to be a physical closet, uh, but just somewhere where you're alone, you're solitary, that, uh, that you're in prayer with God in that fashion. So he needed separation from others to be alone with the Father. And truly, to pray as we ought, we need to be alone with God. Now, throughout his ministry, he had to separate from the busyness just to pray. We read in Luke chapter 5 and verse 15 and 16. Here's another snapshot of his prayer life. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So what do you find with the ministry of Jesus? You find all kinds of people begging for his attention, right? Wondering where he's at, trying to press upon him, wanting him to heal, wanting him to teach, wanting him to do this, wanting him to do that. Uh, I, I really can't imagine anyone in this world with more demands and busyness than Jesus in his earthly ministry. And uh, we can probably identify with the busyness somewhat in our own world, right? I mean, we live in a culture and society, and it's uh, go here, go there, be here, do this. And uh, that's just the world in which we live in, right, with our occupations and things we do. But what do we find here? How did Jesus respond with all of this? He separated himself from everything and everyone to pray. He had a specific way in which he got alone with God. Now, we often might tend to think that, well, I don't have time to pray. Too busy to pray. Well, the opposite is actually true. We're, we, don't, we don't have time not to pray. Uh, Martin Luther said, it, said this. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, many men of God long ago would, would spend hours and hours a day in prayer. And uh, certainly that, that is a practice that we, I think is, would be good to revive in, nowadays, in this day. But uh, we would find it hard to do such thing. But there was times when Martin Luther would spend three hours a day in prayer uh, to accomplish all that he needed to do. And by, by all means, I would imagine he probably got up early to do that very thing. Um, we're very busy people. One of the best things that we can do with our life is to pause, pause, separate ourselves, get alone with God and pray. Just think, meditate upon God and his goodness and his attributes and what he's doing in your life and how he's blessed you and and what uh, he calls us to be as Christians. Now, we see another example of Christ in, in, in prayer, praying before major decisions. Now, oftentimes, big decisions are made by us without ever taking it to the Lord. And here's the danger of that. That leaves us vulnerable for not making the right decision. I think it's always good to be in prayer before we make big decisions. And we see this in Jesus. Uh, look with me if you look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 through 16 for a moment. Look at Luke chapter number 6 for a moment in verse 12 through verse 16. Here's another snapshot of the prayer life of Christ. It says here, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray... And all night he continued in prayer to God. 
And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who is called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Notice what's going on here. There's a major decision that he's about to perform the next day. And what does he do to prepare for that major decision? He spends all night in prayer. He spends all night in prayer. And often when we have big decisions come upon us, we might feel the pressure and how important it is. And so we, we go to the Lord, Lord, what would be your will for this? How would you have me to respond to this? What would you have me to do in this scenario or in this situation? And we see Jesus really practicing that, that he spent all night in prayer by himself, praying and praying and praying. How many of us have ever prayed all night? You ever just stayed up all night in prayer? It's, you see, it might be, be somewhat odd to us, right? It's something that's... Because prayer really is, uh, is, is something that uses a lot of energy, both mentally and spiritually. It, it is, in a sense, warfare and work. Um, that's one reason that I believe Satan fights so hard against us in our prayer life, because uh, it, is, it is one of the most powerful privileges that we have as believers, is to, is to pray, is to access the throne room of grace. And so prayer really is a, an aspect of warfare. And so uh, Jesus, we see him separate, spending all night in prayer over this major decision. So we ought to think about our own selves. How often do we pray over our major decisions? Do we seek God's guidance and help? Uh, we could go further with other examples, but I want to continue on in our notes here tonight and, and get back to our text as well. Uh, but notice with me, letter B, that his prayers not only were essential to his life, we see that how he separates, how he gets alone, he's in prayer by himself, but his prayers were earnest to the Father. His prayers were uh, very, I guess you could say, zealous, heartfelt. They were earnest, flowing from his very being. Prayer for Jesus was not an empty ritual or some mundane routine. And I think that's what I mentioned earlier, is that the Christian life for ourselves, when we pray, when we read Scripture... If we're not careful, it can be easy for us to just fall into, well, this is the routine of the Christian life, and I'll do this to check it off my list, right? Same thing for worship. When we come together to worship, it ought not to be something we gather with God's people and say, okay, we're here, we did that this week. Every time we worship, we're to worship in what? Spirit and in truth. Uh, so the whole of our being should be engaged in all that we do for God. And this is the way it was for Jesus. It was a real experience flowing from the depth of his heart. His prayers were earnest, they were fervent, which is how all of our prayers should be. Now, we have some examples of some of the deeper prayers of Jesus in Scripture. Uh, one of them, for example, you can go read it later. You go read John 17. John 17 is such a rich, deep prayer uh, from our Lord. Just hours before he's going to go be crucified, he's praying uh, in that passage of Scripture. Uh, about the redemptive work he's about to accomplish, about glorifying the Father, and uh, he's praying for us as his people. He prayed for his disciples, but he also prayed for those who would believe on him afterward. In John seventeen twenty, in that prayer, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those uh, who will believe on me through their words. So uh, it's amazing to think that Jesus prayed for future believers in that uh, high priestly prayer as well, that Jesus has prayed for us. So... 
That's one deep prayer. But where else in Scripture do we find some deep and earnest prayer by our Lord? One that comes to my mind and I believe ties into the text of Hebrews 5-7 is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see one of the greatest displays of Hebrews 5-7. Uh, remember, Hebrews 5-7 that says that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now, the word for prayers there. It refers to an urgent request to meet a need, exclusively addressed to God in prayer. The word for supplications is more of a rare word in the New Testament and in the Septuagint. It indicates a submissive request, especially in prayer. And so go to Gethsemane, and let's, let's look at this uh, snapshot of prayer in his life as well. Look at Luke chapter number 22 with me. Luke chapter number 22, and look at verse 39 through verse 44 for a moment. As I read this passage, it always um, stirs my heart when you think, about, you think about where Jesus is in his life, ministry, and mission, what he's about to do, and what he's experiencing in this moment. And notice verse 39 through verse 44, it says, And he came out and went, as, it was, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now just... Pause and meditate on this scene. What Jesus is experiencing here at this time. And you put this passage together with Hebrews 5-7 and as an and as example. He offers up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. Right here we see the darkest, one of the darkest hours of his life as he's getting ready to go to his darkest hour, which is the cross. This is the beginning of all that's about to come upon him. And what do we find here? We find here that he kneels down and he prays, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why does Jesus say that? Well, because he's about to drink the cup of God's wrath for sin. You'll find that reference to the cup of wrath throughout the Old Testament. And here at, at Gethsemane, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, He's about to bear out and bear upon himself the full cup of God's wrath for sin, for his people. Now, this is not that Jesus desires to avoid accomplishing redemption, but if there was some other way, humanly speaking, certainly that would be better than the suffering of the cross and the agony of taking on the wrath of God, but there was no other way for such. And so Jesus here, what's he showing us in his this wait, weighty moment, he is submitting to the Father's will above his own human anticipation of that physical suffering and spiritual suffering he's about to experience. Now, notice what it says here in this prayer. The Bible says in verse 44, being in agony, being in agony. I mean, think about that. He, he is in agony right here. His agony did not begin when he was taken into cuffs and then beaten and 
had the crown of thorns and uh, crucified, nailed to the cross. That's not where his agony begins. His agony begins before he's ever even touched physically. The, the spiritual strain, the emotional strain, the mental strain here. In fact, we read in verse 43, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. You just imagine that here we have this, the, the Son of God that had done so many mighty miracles, calmed the wind, raised the dead, cast out demons, has power over all things, and here he is being strengthened by an angel. This reveals to you the depth of his humanity. He was truly human, fully God, fully human. He wasn't partially God and partially human. He is fully God and fully human. And it's in this agony, which is beyond what we can really understand or grasp in our own mind, that he's coming to the Lord in prayer. And it's through this agony that we would receive the greatest blessings that are in salvation. Isaac Watts rightly said this, all the unknown joys he gives were brought with agonies unknown. We, we really will never fathom the agony that Christ endured there that day in Gethsemane and onto the cross. You'll notice this, the fruit of this in his own body in verse 44, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. See the, the earnestness of his prayer, and in this earnestness of his prayer, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, it's hard for me to fathom and think upon this. We can't imagine that agony. This was the beginning of his darkest hour and full act of obedience to the Father. And I find it interesting as you look at Jesus and his life of prayer, we're looking at this prayer life of his. Jesus not only continued in prayer throughout his life and ministry, his baptism, his ministry began with prayer at his baptism. Throughout his life and ministry, we see him practicing prayer. We see him here in the garden praying in his, in his dark moment. And then we see also his life ends with prayer. His very life ends with prayer. If you look at Luke 23, look, look at verse 46. He said on the cross in his last moment of life, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last, his very last breath. He closes his life out with prayer. Speaking to the Father, talking with God. J. Oswald Sanders rightly said with this, The hour and suffering of death were powerless to quench the habit of a lifetime. His last utterance was one of trustful prayer. That amazes me. You look at the prayer life of Jesus. There is no greater display of practicing prayer that can be found other than in the life of Jesus. But notice with me number two tonight, we see the purpose of prayer by Christ. What's the reason? The purpose of prayer by Christ. And that's one question we might wonder. Why in the world does Jesus even practice prayer to begin with? He's God, right? Well, notice with me a couple things about this. Two reasons I want to summarize for you as to why he prays. One is his experience with the Father, his fellowship or his experience with the Father, if you would. You look at Hebrews 5, 7 again, our text for a moment. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard. Now, when it says in the days of his flesh, in the days of his flesh, this means through his life on earth, through his humanity on earth. It's not just the moment before the cross, but this was something that was ongoing throughout the days of his flesh, throughout 
his human life. Now, we can point out specific times in which Jesus prayed, and we already have seen this. But this statement includes throughout the entirety of his human life. It reveals to us the depth of heart in his prayers, knowing what would come upon him. Jesus knows why he's here and what he's doing from beginning to end. What did Jesus say through his ministry? I've come to do the will of him that sent me. He was sent into this world. And he willingly came into this world to accomplish our redemption. And so from the beginning of his ministry all the way to where he dies, you understand that all of his prayers have in mind what's about to come upon him within a very short time. John Brown comments on this this text in Hebrews and says, The pressure of human guilt habitually weighed down his mind, and he was, by way of eminence, a man of prayer as well as a man of sorrows. And just as the Scriptures describe him as such, as a man of sorrows. See, the reality of Jesus' praying with such heaviness throughout his life shows us his humanity. And that, that begs the question, why, if he is God... Why would he need to pray in such a fashion? We could ask that about any human aspect. If he's God, why do he need to eat? If he's God, why do he need to sleep? If he's God this, if he's God that, right? Because we see two natures in one person. We see 100% God and 100% man. And often, uh, his deity is emphasized and emphasized. But understand that we miss the picture if we don't emphasize and see his humanity as well. His humanity really gives us insight into the depth of what Jesus actually did for us through his incarnation. So Jesus is fully God, but understand that when he came and became a man in his incarnation, he submitted himself to what it means to truly be human, to truly be a man who walks with his Father. Now, what does this mean in regard to this reason for prayer? Well, couple of things here. Jesus prayed in dependence upon the Father. That's what our text says. He's praying in dependence upon the Father. He says, with loud cries and tears to Him. He's praying with loud cries and tears to Him who is able to save Him from death. Now, Jesus is divine. Couldn't He save Himself from death? Absolutely. But you understand, He has submitted Himself to what it means to be human. The human nature. So what is He doing here instead? He's yielding himself completely to the Father's plan and promises about the resurrection, about what's going to come to pass once he does die. Now, remember his last words, Father, into thy hands, your hands, I commit my spirit. That's a a prayer of trust and faith. We often don't think of Jesus living by faith because he's God, right? But in his human nature, he did. He lived by faith. He trusted him. Psalm speaks of him uh, in that fashion, having faith from his youth, that he's one that is, has trusted in the Father from, uh, from, from his infancy. Now, now it, notice that, that when Jesus prays to him who is able to save him from death, it is not in reference to escaping death. All right, It's not in reference to re- escaping the reality of dying, but, but, but rather being raised from the dead by the Father. Jesus is essentially praying the fulfillment of the Scriptures concerning himself. We remember what David foretold in that Messianic prophecy. Psalm 16 and verse 10, You will not abandon my soul in Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That is a prophecy regarding the resurrection 
of Jesus from the grave. He would not be left there. The next verse of that chapter actually says, you will show me the path of life, and in thy presence are joys forevermore. Shows us the life that Jesus has in the resurrection, while we could also make application to us as being in him, risen from the dead. But Jesus, what we find here, has prayed the promises of God, believing them, knowing that they will come to pass, because he is the Son of God, and he is equal with the Father. Now, how true should this be of us in a practical sense? Shouldn't we pray in accordance with the Scriptures, believing God's promises as he's given them in their proper context? Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, Whatsoever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. We ought to pray God's promises, believing that he fulfills his promises according to his will. And I believe that faith truly is key in effectually praying. Thomas Watson commented and said, Prayer is the key of heaven, and faith is the hand that turns it. Now, did the Father hear Christ's prayer? Well, we read in our text that, yes, he did. Notice what it says in Hebrews. He was heard. He was heard because of his reverence. Now, the Father raised him from the dead, right, the third day. He was raised from the dead the third day, and Christ lives forever, never to die again. Ascended on high, where he sits at the Father's right hand, upon his throne. But here's something that struck me when we think of this. Have you ever thought of the resurrection of Christ as an answer to prayer? It was for Jesus. It was for Jesus. It was an answer to prayer for Jesus. Even though it's all, it's all decreed that it's going to come to pass this way, but prayer was an intricate part of the humanity of Christ and seeing the fulfillment of that. Mark Jones comments on this, and he, he has a great little book called Knowing Jesus. You ever get it? I encourage you to read it. It's short chapters, but so rich and so deep. Uh, Banner of Truth is the publisher of that. But he says, How could God refuse the requests of his Son, who always pleaded according to his Father's will? Every prayer Jesus ever prayed was in perfect accordance with the will of the Father. Perfect accordance. Now, that's where you and I would differ from him, right? We don't always know the perfect will of God. And sometimes our prayers that we pray are not in accordance with his will that he's going to fulfill. So we ought to always seek to pray in accordance with the will of God and uh, ask him to help us to pray in accordance with his will. So in prayer, Jesus was fully dependent upon God throughout all of his life. And think about this as a Christian. Isn't that the foundational reason that we pray? Because we are depending upon God, because we need God for that which we are petitioning him for. If we didn't need him... There would be no reason for prayer. If we didn't need him, there would be no reason for approaching him at all about anything. And usually it's when we try to do things on our own, we realize, oh man, I can't do this, that we begin to pray, don't we? But the right approach to that would actually be pray first. Begin with prayer. Don't try it on your own and then realize you can't do it. Say, oh, I need the Lord for this. No, start with prayer. Start with prayer and seek him. Psalms 121 and verse 1 and 2. What a wonderful text this is for us. I would lift up my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, prayer is an unmistakable manifestation of a person trusting God, seeking God, and depending upon God. When you pray, you are, you are manifesting that you need Him for something you can't handle on your own which is essentially everything, <laughs> essentially everything. 
I don't, I don't even breathe on my own. Every breath is God giving me this. You see, Jesus' life, what does this show us about the life of Jesus? It shows us that his spiritual life was not just some automatic, stagnant process. He had a real, genuine spiritual life in his walk and fellowship with God the Father. Why else did Jesus pray? That brings me to number two is the fellowship. Jesus prayed in fellowship with the Father. How is it that we draw near to our Heavenly Father as human beings? Is it not through prayer? To be alone in prayer is to be alone in fellowship with God, for prayer is communion with God. You're not praying to yourself. You're not praying to someone else. You're seeking the face of God. Matthew 14, 23, another reference. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening was come, he was there alone. But he wasn't there alone. He's talking about physically speaking. He was there with God. And friend, even when you're alone in prayer, you're with someone. You're with God. You're communing with God. So his, his fellowship with the Father was unbroken. I mean, he had perfect, perfect, harmonious union with the Father all throughout his life and ministry up until the cross. And what great fellowship with God prayer gives to the believer. And that's one reason we ought to seek it fervently and continuously because we don't always have unbroken fellowship with God. We sin. We're at war with the flesh. And that is one reason that we have the great provision through Christ that we come to Him in confession. And what does 1 John 1, 9 tell us and promise us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, he restores our fellowship that we have broken. He never breaks it with us. It's always us who break it with Him, right? Because we're the ones that move. You know, in your Christian life, if you ever come to a point where you realize that you're just not as near to God maybe as you once were, it's not because God has moved. It's because you have moved. It's always us. See, our hearts should long to fellowship with God, for He's our Creator, and, and we are empty without Him. We really are. We're not, we're not satisfied without Him. Psalm 63, verse 1, David wrote, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where no water is. Christian, as a born-again believer, with the Spirit of God dwelling in you, when you come to God in prayer and you spend that time in prayer, you're fellowshipping with the Father, that is the spiritual nourishment that you need. That is where you find your strength and your sustenance for your Christian life. So we need to fellowship like Jesus did with God in prayer. Not only did Jesus, we see the purpose of prayer by Jesus. This is what we're looking at. We see his experience with the Father. This is his own spiritual walk and as a human being. But we see also his example to his followers. That's another reason for his prayer life. This is an example to us. Jesus lived as a man perfectly in all aspects of life. He lived in perfect obedience, perfect fellowship, perfect faith, perfect prayer. This makes Jesus the perfect example for us in all things. Now, Peter wrote to the Christians in 1 Peter, Peter 2.21 where they were in suffering, and it's in the context of suffering. He says, for this, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And it is true that we are to follow in the steps of Jesus when it comes to suffering. But there is a broader principle there that 
we follow in the steps of Jesus in everything. It's not limited to suffering, but it extends to all aspects of the Christian life. Why? Because Christ-likeness is our goal. Christ-likeness is what we're being molded into. That is what sanctification is doing in us. Slowly, gradually, but assuredly, bringing us more into the image of Christ, God's Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to prayer, Jesus sets the example. Now, I want you to see another passage here, that, another snapshot. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Luke 11 and verse 1. And I find this fascinating as well. The disciples question here. And it comes as a result of seeing the example of Jesus praying, watching the prayer life of Jesus. And in verse 1 of Luke 11, he says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then he proceeds to give us what's called the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. But notice the question. They see the prayer life of Jesus. They have this knowledge that John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, so obviously John the Baptist was a man of prayer. But their question to him and a request to him is, Lord, teach us to pray. If you could ask Jesus to teach you to do anything, would that be the first thing you'd ask? They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to perform miracles. Teach us to calm the waves on the water. They want to know from Jesus, teach us to pray. How do we pray like him? You see, the prayer life of Jesus stirred their souls. And as I read it and we read in Scripture, it ought to stir us. J. Oswald Sanders rightly said again, I quote, Our most wonderful lesson and our greatest inspiration in the holy art of prayer comes from him who not only spoke as never man spoke, but prayed as never a man prayed. It is Luke who especially captures for us the teachings and habits of prayer in the life of our Lord. And that's where we've been majority tonight, looking at Luke's gospel references. But Christ's prayer life is a display of what he taught about prayer. He practiced what he preached, and the purpose of his prayer life is really the same as our own purpose in prayer, dependence on the Father and fellowship with the Father. Notice with number three, and I'll get through this last point. It's a little shorter. We'll be done soon. We see the preaching on prayer by Christ, what he teaches and preaches. And we notice, firstly, that Jesus instructs his people to pray. It's not just something that's you know hypothetical. Yeah, maybe I should pray, maybe I shouldn't. Praying is something that the Christian must do. It's a command to us. He gave much instruction about prayer. He gave us the model prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. He gave us parables and lessons about prayer. One example is Luke 18, 1 through 14. That's a great one. He commands us to pray for laborers in his harvest. Matthew 9, 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. He'd send out laborers to do his harvest. And we need that right now a lot. There are so many churches that are starving for pastors that can't find them. Just can't find them. Well, maybe, maybe they're just not some that fit their mold, but by and large, the, the ratio of pastors to available pastors to churches, it's out of balance. We need more men who are laborers, who will, who will serve. We need to pray that God would call more men into the ministry. 
He commands us to pray not just for those that we love, but also even for our enemies too. Luke 6, 28, bless those who, who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Jesus practiced what he preached, didn't he? You remember his prayer on the cross? Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And truly they had no clue what they were doing. And we look at the world around us, those who would be our enemies, who would persecute us, taunt us, and degrade us as Christians. Sure, it's evil what they're doing, but they don't have a clue what they're doing. <laughs> they're blind in their mind. They're, they're, they're deceived by their depravity and the foolishness of this world. We're to pray for our enemies as Christ prayed for his. When we first began to teach David how to, how to pray very little, he was already practicing this to some degree. He loved the superheroes, you know, Spider-Man and Hulk and all those guys, and, and in his prayers, he would pray for Spider-Man, and he'd pray for Hulk, and it caught me off guard one day, he was praying, said, and for the bad guys too, <laughs> he would pray for the bad guys too, we're to pray for our enemies, and here's, here's an interesting point for us, Jesus has not commanded us to do anything that he has not already done in his own humanity, so don't look at Jesus and say, well, he commands me to do this, well, he was God, hold on a minute. What he did in his life on earth, he did in his humanity. Understand that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. We read that through the Gospels. So he's not called us to do anything that he's not already done in his own humanity. And uh, we're instructed to pray and we must do it. Notice with me lastly that Jesus, he intercedes for his people to pray. Our prayer life is dependent on Jesus. Did he give any indication of that? He did. In John 14, 13, he told his disciples, whoever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this does not mean that Jesus is some genie in the bottle, and whatever we ask in his name, he's just going to do it. But he's giving his disciples instructions that prayer is through him. It's through him, and according to his will. See, all prayers answered are prayers that are in line with God's will. And what this teaches us is that prayer is only accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you notice in our culture there's an attack on praying in the name of Jesus? You can, pl- you can pray in the name of any other God, but why, why Jesus' name is banned? Why is it that that one gets the flack? Well, because deep down, Jesus is the one true God, and uh, the darkness hates the light. Darkness hates the light. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, you understand that we have no ability to truly pray outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot approach God the Father. One might spout off a few words to God here and there, but understand that the only way that prayer is truly heard and answered is through the Lord Jesus, through Christ. Man is barred from God outside of Jesus. Why? Because of our sin. And it is the high priestly work of Jesus that brings our prayers to the throne of grace by which God hears us. One last verse, one last passage, and then I'll be done. Hebrews 4 and verse 14 through 16. Notice this. This is a wonderful passage. I'll probably preach this passage at some point in the future because this is so rich. But Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. And verse 14 really is where he begins the section on the high priestly um, work of Jesus. But notice that he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. 
Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is in, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do you find happens in this text? Jesus Christ is our great high priest, the one who intercedes on behalf of us at the right hand of the Father. And notice that specific detail it points out to us, that he is not unable to sympathize with us, but he's fully able to sympathize with us. Why? Because he lived a genuine human life yet without sin. He understands what it means to be human. He sympathizes with his people. And you and I, because of Christ at God's right hand, because he is our intercessor, our advocate, Hebrews tells us in verse 16 that we come to God with confidence, confident, boldly, knowing that we approach the throne of grace and we come to him for mercy, we come to him for help in time of need. And friend, that is one of the greatest privileges that we have as Christians When you pray through Jesus, according to God's will, do you understand that there is power beyond any power in this world? The power of prayer is in the person we're praying to. Not so much the words I say, but in the person that we pray to. And so understand that as Christians, we have a great privilege and a great responsibility to be a people of prayer. So what did prayer do for Jesus, the Son of God? Well, it strengthened him, it comforted him, guided him. He used prayer regular practice in his life and prayer does the same for us and I believe that we as God's people we must be people of prayer Um, so much more could be said about this but um, for another time we could preach for a long time on prayer but uh, I hope this has encouraged you and maybe challenged you in your in your walk with God in your own prayer life